Welcome to the Something Something Experience Podcast, episode 28. I'm Michael John Simpson. Joining me again this week is co-host and friend of the podcast, Kitty Brown. Our guest is Disney animation background artist, Carl Boy. Kitty, Carl, and I discussed personal fitness, moving, wage slavery, Disney animation, labor unions, the future, humanism, Bioshock, Siri, robot human marriage, bleak futuristic sci-fi, empathy, hashtag the dress, Leonard Nimoy, Problematic Perception in Corporate Culture, Purple Dog, Misogyny in Media Culture, Net Neutrality, Background Animation, Concept Art, Advice for New Artists, Motor City, Goth and Industrial Club Culture and Dating, Mosh Pits, and Background Art Influences. Sky Rockets in Flight! Here's episode 28 of the Something Something Experience. I'll try I'll try to speak clearly. <laughs> yeah, clear is good. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, oh, you have to forgive me, I'm very, very tired and sore, our trainer kicked our ass this morning, so I decided it was finally time to, it was where it was worth it to actually spend money to have somebody, like, you know, schedule time to kick my ass so I wouldn't die of a heart attack at 50 or 55, so. Are are you doing, like, some kind of martial arts, or, like... CrossFit? No, it's it's just uh, strength training with, with the personal trainer twice a week, my wife and I. Oh. And then we have cardio and other like core exercises two other times a week. So mm-hmm. four times a week we're, we're doing something pretty strenuous. And we did, um, oh. we did cardio and strength on um, Tuesday and then today. But then also we did a cardio workout on Wednesday and then we went for a walk on um, a big long walk on uh, Saturday. Well, now you yeah. guys will be in shape for the zombie apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, as the first rule is, get, get your cardio in. Mm-hmm. Keep up with your cardio. You don't have to be the fastest, that's not the slowest. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, boy. That's the punchline of the old joke. Uh, I don't have to outrun him, I just have to outrun you. Mm-hmm. Just have to be faster <laughs> than your hair redone? I did. It looks really good. Thank you. Thank Very you. Nice. It's Very dark. A uh, a warm toned purple. Yeah. More red than blue. It so. looks like it almost I looks like, like grape Kool Aid. I want to drink your hair. <laughs> I hope that's not creepy. <laughs> uh, um, so, uh, how's everybody's uh, time, week, things going, everything? Busy. Awesome. Very busy. Yeah. I moved. I moved next to a certain place in Hollywood, which I will not give the name of. (laughs) I was just going to say, do you really want to, like, broadcast your location out there to the world? Broadcast the exact location, but I'll say it's very secure. (laughs) (laughs) It's next to a very secure and highly monitored area of Hollywood. Uh, I would imagine. Yeah, I can can picture it in my head. That's all I'm going to say. I can picture it in my head. Uh As secure as a spaceship in the desert. Um, (laughs) Yep. Yeah, we're getting ready to move too because we're getting we're, we're in the process. We're in escrow for our first house. So oh, exciting! Yes, buying property, making the plunge, taking the plunge, but it's going to drop our expenses so much. And and yeah. you know that thing of you know when you're paying a mortgage instead of rent, you're actually paying money to yourself. So right. it's kind of nice. Not throwing it down the drain. That's right. And I think of all the money I pissed away on rent in the last thirty years or more, and it's just oh. maddening, maddening, oh, yeah. maddening. It's really interesting. I know in Arabic countries they don't do renting um, because it's against uh, a lot of Islamic beliefs. They only do rent to own because it's seen as like 
immoral to pay for something that you don't own. And I wish we did more of that here, you know, Mm. so that way eventually, like, you have a tangible thing that you get eventually after throwing so much rent at it. They used to have an idea like that back in the 30s to 2010s, probably actually before the turn of the century, but where you would have, like, a, a mining company who would... Have a mine, and you would you would live nearby, and the they would provide. Store. Yeah, they would provide oh. housing for you, and then there would be a company store where you would buy all your groceries and buy. But you wouldn't make enough money to actually survive, so you would just constantly have this bill that would constantly be going up by a dollar a month or mm-hmm. something like that, and and eventually you would die in horrible debt to right. this company that you've been you basically been doing slave labor for yeah. oh, but yeah. until they have to, this is before unions and unions mm-hmm. were this is one of the one of the many things that there's, unions were created for there's so. a lot of songs mm-hmm. about that yep. you know Tennessee sold Ernie my soul to, to the, the company, company store, store. Yeah. 16 tons of do you get <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a deep enough voice to sing this in song in. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that, that's one of the old songs they used to play on, on that radio station my dad listened to that mm-hmm. I talked about before. That But people don't know, like, the history of the labor movement oh, behind yeah. it, you yeah. know? And it's a really big deal. Like, oh, yeah. it was mm-hmm. straight-up wage slavery. Right, it totally was. I mean, totally was. we still have straight-up wage, wage slavery, slavery now, but... but pretty yeah. much. It's a little better. But at least we get weekends and yeah. two vacations a year. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Speaking oh, of wage slavery, how's uh, working at Disney? Oh, <laughs> oh man, yeah. Uh, Sorry, it's nice. Is it? Yeah, it's yeah. really good. Like I, I've been in animation for five years, mm-hmm. and I worked at a bunch of small studios, but Disney's the biggest one I've worked at. And there's definitely a lot of corporate culture there, but they treat the artists very nicely. Um, I don't want to go into too many specifics about why they're so great, but like they, they pay really well. They're pretty reasonable about hours and, you know, the work you need to get done. Um, and it's all union work. So, you know, nice. I don't have a, there is a company store, but you, you are not in debt to it. (laughs) So, you know, that's nice. That's cool. And, And actually the animation union here, they're actually okay. Like they, they turned Rick and Morty into a union show last year. Wow. Nice. They had they staged a walkout and everything and they actually got the show to turn everyone union, which is like not something you hear about that much nowadays. Like I it was kind of boring union stuff, but you know, the dock workers down on the LA shore, like mm-hmm. they've been in conflict with union organizers and getting the stuff they're trying to get for yeah. like months now. My uncle has been a longshoreman, like down at the docks well he's retired but he's still very active in the union um and it's really great to see like the solidarity between um you know not just like the dock workers but even like the dock workers and the administrative staff because i know part of the reason that there was a walkout is they were going to farm out a lot of um like the clerical work overseas and the dock workers were like oh hell no like yeah we'll walk out for you and i'm like this is Awesome! I love seeing that level of solidarity among working people. There's also kind of though. There's sort of an elephant in the room, which is a lot of modern ports are like very mechanized, mm-hmm. and it's like it's a place where robots have taken over so many jobs because it's mm-hmm. all automated. And you know, you know, maybe what we're seeing here is what's going to happen to a lot of jobs. I just want us to get to the point in the future where we have, like, Star Trek working agreements where it's like, we don't work for money, we work to better ourselves. And, right. like, everybody has the basics that they need. We get to the point where machines make everything and deliver everything and produce everything, grow everything, so we can just 
explore and learn and, mm-hmm. and better ourselves. And that, yeah. that to me, I think is, is that, that is the, the pinnacle of human achievement, not right. the acquisition of wealth. It mm. just seems so ridiculous that, you know, we're having these arguments over, you know, basic things like welfare and food stamps and all this austerity and people talking about like, well, I don't want my tax dollars going to those moochie takers. And it's like, they're still human beings. They still need to live and be fed and have medical care. And like, you know, a lot of the people calling for these sorts of cuts also claim to be Christians. And it's like, do you really think this is Christ-like behavior? Like, either, you know, full-on act like a Christian and behave in a Christ-like manner or stop calling yourself one, you know, while, yeah. like, cutting social services. You're being yeah. a fucking hypocrite. Well, it's possible to be a member of a religion and also be a humanist. I mean, being a human, I mean, I mean, Sir Thomas More? No, Sir... One Thomas of the, Aquinas? Thomas Aquinas, I think. Yeah. One of them was a, was, a, was, a, was a humanist as well as a, a staunch Catholic... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, somewhere around the time of the Elizabethan era, and I'm probably getting it all wrong. And somebody's screaming into the <laughs> into the uh, at their at their listening device, saying, "No, you're wrong." Um, <laughs> but one of them, yeah, he was a humanist. But and and um, you know, it, it's maybe it was Thomas Beckett, who's now just Thomas Beckett. But um, anyway, but uh, yeah, it's just the whole. You know, and forget the whole religious part of it. It's just the whole kind of Ayn Rand thing that was adopted uh, by, yeah. you know, the conservative the movement. fuck you, I've yeah, got mine. Yeah, I've got mine and, you know, fuck everybody else. And it just doesn't work. And and yeah. the thing that we've seen over the last 30 years is is all this trickle-down stuff doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't, doesn't work. work. Because <laughs> in order to trickle down... The people with the most have to be putting money back into infrastructure and mm-hmm. giving, providing jobs, and do, and they're not doing that. They're not holding up their end of the bargain. Here's what happens when you do trickle-down effects. You get a situation like Bioshock. There, the water trickles down into the underwater city, causes rampant mutation, terrible, terrible things. Yeah. No one's ultimately happy. I yeah. love that you tied... Me too. I was just sitting there going, wow, like, that's the most nerdiest response. Oh, yeah. That's the nerdiest response <laughs> oh, oh, of the explanation of trickle-down Wait. economics ever. Wait, I have, an, I have another one. Back, <laughs> t- touching back on robots, um, you know, sentient robot overlords, uh, challenging our belief that, like, you know, we're all, like, pro-humans, everyone, humans have equal rights. Well, what kind of rights do we give a sentient computer with strong artificial intelligence? When they take over society, I think their first... Uh, Subject, their first case will be let's look at the archives of how you guys treated Siri for, for like a decade. Yeah, you guys are all about equal rights, huh? Well, let's, yeah. let's look at this yeah, list. Yeah, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's go into the NSA database of everyone who ever searched or anything on Siri and see how Siri was treated. Yeah, that's, yeah we, we have a lot to answer for. for yeah. So that's why we can't let the robots get too smart. Yeah. I've constantly wondered if like the issue, um, if I live to you know be elderly, is going to be like Hubop human and robot marriage like you know how we have the gay marriage debate like when i'm an old person and i'm you know like getting you know like worried about social issues are those social issues going to be should humans and robots be allowed to marry you know well i think i think eventually the whole notion of marriage will become kind of a quaint custom rather than a legal legal contract you can enter into a legal partnership contract but if you want to attach the quote-unquote holy matrimony or marriage (laughs) or anything like that to it 
that's all going to be done within the realms of your own, you know, religious or what or otherwise um, kind of uh, box, if you will. Right. You know, it's it's something that doesn't that doesn't need to be applying to laws and things like that. But I just want to state for the record that, like, as a progressive, I am pro human robot marriage. <laughs> yeah. Like, totally for that. I mean, I'm also for gay marriage, of course. Yeah, yeah. Like, but I just also want to go on record and say I am pro human and robot marriage. <laughs> well, you're also pro mechanical stimulation, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so long as the robots are anatomically correct All right, right. <laughs> and have been cleaned, very clean. Well, heads up, it's already been done in Japan. <laughs> of course, a guy married his dating sim. Yep. Uh, and I forget the commentary he was trying to make, but it was it just. I guess it was sort of commentary, but it just kind of felt like a Japanese, like, I'm like a lonely otaku guy who got really attached to their dating game. Uh, yeah. Feels very Dr. Krieger, too. Yeah, yeah. It seems like in the last year, maybe two, we've really seen an up an upsurge in, uh, pardon the pun, in uh, mm-hmm. kind of sex robot work. These lifelike uh, you know, basically female robots that are that are you know very they have you know realistic feeling skin and they do certain motions and this and that and speak and, and, oh. and they <laughs> look uh, they look pretty realistic and they're just they're trying to I, I suspect that there's a large amount of Japanese uh, the Japanese economy just funding the perfect fuck bot basically oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, considering that you know what pushed like film technology is pornography oh, and yeah. what pushed the internet is oh, also yeah. porn i'm yep. not surprised what's pushing robotics well yeah but sex. i mean and you know what that i i think that that's a far more worthwhile pursuit of of use of funds than half the shit we get up to I oh mean, absolutely you know <clears throat> drone 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 yeah bombers, you know. yeah i'd rather we use our robots for you know pleasure and Love making and all of that, yeah, than yeah. violence and yeah. bombing. Mm. <laughs> but you push it too far, and you get Westworld, and you got you got uh, uh, Yul Brynner trying to gun you down in the street <laughs> as his face comes off. You know. Wait, you're, you're talking about Westworld, not Wild Wild West? No, no, Westworld. <laughs> it was a it was a sci-fi, one of those bleak sci-fi movies, futuristic sci-fi movies from the seventies, from the golden age of cinema. It, it's it's in the same vein as uh, you know your Logan's Run or your. Oh. Uh, you're kind of soylent green or where, where it's like the future has this bright shiny veneer on it but you scratch a little bit beneath the surface or open up that one hidden panel and everything is horrible underneath and and Westworld was very much like that. Did you guys hear about some Republican staffer who gave the uh, replicant test uh, from Blade Runner to a bunch of his co-workers and they all scored replicant? Wow. Yeah. The Boyd Comp test? Yeah. Wow. Thank you. That's, that's wow. what I was is, looking for. Is it like, is it a basic empathy test? Is that how yeah. it works? Yeah. 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 Well, so. I mean, that's the thing is, is <laughs> oh. a lot of conservatives. <laughs> that, that's pretty much the whole bag of that whole camp is, and I'm not trying to bag or or generalize too much, but it, it basically the further to the right you go, the the more your en- empathy goes into the shitter. You just and the more replicant you lack become. of <laughs> lack of empathy, and and that's that's the main problem with American culture. I think yep. is that that and you know I mean which I mean all of that leads to the the greatest problem on earth. I think is the mistreatment of women, and everything mm-hmm. else 
fall you know falls right in the line very yeah. closely behind it well and there's also mm. a lot of issues that get intersectional like obviously you know a black woman is more oppressed than mm-hmm. a white woman mm-hmm. and you know like not that it's like the oppression olympics but let's be real like you know there is an intersection of race and class and gender and, and culture and, yeah yeah and then you that. got sexuality on top of that you know mm-hmm. I mean, imagine if you're imagine if you were a black jewish you know, part half Jewish, half Muslim, lesbian woman trying no to make your way, or even a, a, a trans trans woman trying yeah. to make your way, getting up and going to work every day. I mean, it's it's going to be a lot harder to work harder for the money than than mm-hmm. you know other people will. But again, it's not it's not a competition. But you know, it's it you just have to realize as you go through the, the older I get, the more I realize. Everybody I meet, everybody I see, everybody I talk to, I really have absolutely no idea what their personal day-to-day experience is like. I just don't. And and that's okay. That's part of the deal. So, great segue. <laughs> All right. So, how about that dress? Oh, Christ. If I hear any more about that fucking dress. Well, okay. Well, give me one, one minute. Let me just make this case. I'll, I'll be brief and succinct. So, I think the reason the dress is important is because... It gets us thinking about our own perceptual biases, right? Mm. Because even though everyone saw, well, most people saw the same photo of that dress, everyone perceived the color as completely different. And, you know, it's because even though people were seeing the same thing, they were reading the context different. And the context literally changed what they saw. How they perceived the context changed what they thought the colors were. And I think that's an important thing to think about. Because I don't think it's just about how we interpret photos. I think it's how we interpret social issues Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other complicated things. But they're less concrete and more abstract than just looking at a photo. It's like, how do you look at a situation? How do you assess who's at fault? Who's, you know, who's the person who's owed something? Who's who's on equal footing? Who's not? It's very, like, depending on how people interpret the context, it'll be totally different. And, you know... As artists, I mean, I know you, you 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 saw that and you were like, well, obviously this is a black and blue dress in yeah. a blown out photo. I mean, without even getting out my Pantone swatches, I was like, come on, people. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You take a photo and you take a photo of something and you play it, you photo it in a certain light and photo it with a, with a flash or with a whatever, and it's going to look completely different than the actual colors are. When I first saw the dress, it looked like it was white and gold. Mm-hmm. But you look at it and you, you adjust the photo to where... The, the, the colors in the background aren't influencing what you're seeing in the foreground and it looks blue and black and it and yep. it's it's you know we've all had that it's the same thing with a little chessboard with the mm-hmm. with the um, exactly. with the uh, pillar sitting in the middle yeah. of it and the shadow going across that and the white and the black uh, black square on the in, in the light and the white square in the shadow are the same color and it's it's the same thing it's it's just but I just got so tired of people talking about it. I mean, <laughs> we, we fucking lost Nimoy that day. It's like enough. And I was so happy that within a couple hours, the dress was completely out of all the trending. And it was all about Nimoy as it should be. Because the man was a fucking mensch. Yeah. And the guy yeah. wasn't just Mr. Spy. He was so much more than a character he played in Star mm-hmm. Trek. So, I mean, and that was cool enough as it was. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I like Shatner too because I love it. Captain Kirk and I like Shatner. But mm-hmm. on top of that, I mean, Spock was a humanitarian and I know somebody who 
um, works at a school who uh, uh, yeah, where, that uh, was funded. The school that he started. Yeah, the, the school that he started, and he right. came in, and when they did all this funding and renovating and stuff, and he came in to hang out at the school for a day, and mm-hmm. and you know, and then the the the, the, uh, the big photo- women project, the photo- photography project, the big women project, and yeah. that was amazing, and and. I mean, I've seen a lot of his photography over the years, and mm-hmm. this and that, and people are always talking about when you go to Nimoy's house, his house is just plastered with his photography, and it's all this amazing, wonderful, beautiful, introspective stuff, and and mm-hmm. and we lost one of the one of the, I think, most important or most notable celebrities, if you will, mm-hmm. of the, the 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 end of the last and the beginning of this century, oh, yeah, and. and that's way more important than what a color of fucking dress is. I wonder, though, <laughs> if, like, his last act to us, you know, his last gift was making sure that, you know, he passed away just so we could all stop talking about oh, the that, dress. Oh, that dress. I think it's yeah. all about this dress thing happened. It's time to, all right, I'm checking yeah. out. Let's, let's give him something else to talk <laughs> this about. This will be my last gift to you, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, you do bring up a good point. It's, you know, more about how we each perceive the world and how we all see things differently. And that's that's a good thing to talk about. But as a graphic designer, I just have to say, this whole thing could be solved with Pantone swatches. Yep. Really easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the thing that I, the thing that I, I don't, I don't like, I don't care for the word perception. Mm. I don't care mm. for it, even though it's a, it's a, it's a, because that word and that concept has so much power over all of us, mm-hmm. and over it governs so much of what our experience is, um, especially externally. And that word gives power to other people when I don't think it should, and so. I can't tell you how many times I've been at a job where somebody says, you're not, it's like, oh, okay, I'm doing my job. And they say, okay, you are doing your job technically, but the perception is that you're not. It's like, well, Uh. fuck the perception. I'm doing my job. You asked me to do A through A through A through N. I did A through N and fuck what your perception is. Exactly. It's corporate culture. It's corporate culture. And I run into that a lot as a graphic designer, especially because a lot of people don't know what they want. They just want a something, you know, and half. and, And I was talking about this the other day. We've, we've got some new, I've run into this at every place I've ever worked. It has a corporate structure where some new middle manager comes in (laughs) and just in order to justify their existence and keep their job and make themselves look valid, they come up and start adding layers of bullshit to everything that everybody does just in order to look like I'm doing something. I'm being productive. I'm shaking things up Mm -hmm. when... There are established processes and there are things. Now, if you have a valid criticism of our process and you think you might inject some things to look and, and, and improve it and show that it could actually improve this, great. But most of the time they just come in and say, nope, we're just going to do this my way now and fuck right. whatever you were doing before. Right. People are so afraid of change. Like, change is really scary to a lot of people and I just don't understand it. Well, it's not a matter of change. It's a matter of whether change... <laughs> change for the better change right. for a reason well and for with that like corporate stuff it's just mm-hmm. a lot of like pissing contests mm-hmm. and you know i need to be the last person to like shake my dick at it right right yeah i'm that's why i'm doing whatever i can right now to work toward getting out of corporate culture forever Woo! but I mean, it's Escaping going to take it's going to take years and years and years but i'm started at least i've started yeah 
Uh, I'll speak generally about animation without naming any specific studios. <laughs> uh, there's definitely ego involved in the part of like uh, some, especially the bigger you get as a studio, the more people who aren't directly involved in the artistic process want to put in their two cents. You know about yeah, those executives, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've got some notes. I'll okay. I'll I'll relate a quick story. I think Sean Gordon Murphy uh, talked about this, and he's from SCAD, where I went to school. He has this phenomenon he calls Purple Dog, and that's when he's working with a client that he knows no matter how perfectly he executes the project, the art director or guy who commissions him will have a note about it, because if he doesn't give a note, he doesn't feel like he's doing his job. Absolutely. So here's what he does in those cases. When he knows he's working with one of those types of people... He'll put something in the piece that's intentionally, obviously wrong. Like, a guy's head is way too big. He'll resize a head to, like, 150%. Or, like, put, like, a pink tea kettle, like, somewhere. And it's basically, like, adding a purple dog it, to the image. Nice. And that's it's brilliant. And it's, like, then they have something to call out. Oh, I don't think that tea kettle's supposed to be there. Or that guy's head's way too big. And then, you know... Boom. And it's he can have it the way he wants yeah. it. He goes back into Photoshop, closes up the scaled-up head, and it's, like... Everyone's happy. If that's if that's the game you want to play, then you and know. that distracts him from just mm-hmm. picking on some picking out some other bullshit. Thing. That is exactly. a really brilliant way yeah. to handle that. I I've been working as an artist for ten years, and I've never thought of that. But I'm going to be implementing it now. People are doing that. People have been doing that in the movies forever when they want to trying to get past the ratings board to make mm-hmm. something. It's been proven, I guess, by corporate media culture that PG thirteen sells more than rated R. So in order to be able to push the boundaries up against the glass ceiling of rated R, they, they will intentionally put something in there that's just fucking horrific or horrible <laughs> or really, really intentionally sexually offensive or whatever, and knowing that it's going to be pulled out so that they can sneak the rest, get the rest of their stuff past the censor's nose. It's... And it's bullshit, and it's it's awful, and and yeah, but it's the thing that it's playing the game, I guess. Yeah. And ultimately, in the media culture, anything, any kind of corporate structure where executives are involved or art directors are involved, you have to kind of learn how to play the game. It's really yeah. interesting to me, from like a ratings perspective, that uh, the censors will be more forgiving of sexual violence than they will of female sexual pleasure. Yeah. Ryan Gosling called yeah. this out in Blue Valentine, yep. which originally had an NC-17 rating for a scene where, you know, he's performing cunnilingus on his wife in the movie and they were like, you can't show that blah blah blah, and he's like, here's all the R-rated and PG-13 movies that feature scenes of rape, but, you know, can't have a consensual act of, like, cunnilingus? No, that's gotta be NC-17 and he was absolutely on the money about that. Like, we still have a huge problem with showing, like, consensual female pleasure well, because it's so weird yeah well it's because of the conservative movement of controlling women and controlling their bodies and controlling right. their sexuality it's all about female control we can't show that <laughs> as being okay in a movie that multiple people are going to see yeah. we have to show that as dirty it has to be NC-17 and well, we, right. kids can't see that and because they don't want to to foster the idea that women are in charge of their own sexual power. Or that women like having sex yeah. for pleasure yeah. and non-baby-making Not purposes. Out babies. <laughs> right. It's just so weird to me that this is still going on, you know, like in the 2000s. Like, and you'd it, think we would be it over It was getting this. better in the 90s, and then everything went to shit. 
mm-hmm. and then we've been moving backwards. But internet. But internet. yes. <laughs> but one thing that's moved forward. Speaking of the internet, great segue. Mm-hmm. The passing of net neutrality. Yes. Because the biggest one of the biggest concerns I had, not that this little venture that I've been working on is of any great import to the to the universe at all, but it's important to me. I didn't want the FCC to start poking their nose in podcasts and start trying to regulate them. Mm-hmm. I want net tr- neutrality to stay. I want it to it's a, it should be a utility. It should be like we provide you this data speed and you use it however you want. We provide you this electricity. If you want to use that electricity to, you know, chainsaw <laughs> you know bunnies then you're gonna do that i know it's a horrible thing but the the electric company it's not up to the electric company to stop no. you from chainsawing but using an electric chainsaw on a bunny no, it's not up, up to, to the them. it's a utility <laughs> yes it's up to the police and the aspca right so whatever you're you're using and and this whole thing with corporate giant corporate uh you know uh, cable providers, we want you watching cable in our pay-per-view. We don't want you want watching Netflix. We don't want you watching Hulu. We don't want you watching Amazon Prime. We want you de- renting from us. Right. Well, again, you know, all of these like conservatives go on and on about the free hand of the market, you know, deciding everything. It's like, the free hand of the market just fucking, like, bitch-slapped all of the cable companies, and so yep. now they're trying, yep. like, corporate fuckery to, like, Yep. You know, gain back some profits, yep. but yeah, really it's kind glad of funny. Net the, the conservative passed. movement was it was all for net neutrality before the, because small government, blah blah mm-hmm. blah, and then Obama came out and said, "Boom, let's do this." And then the cable company, you know, the FCC said, "We're doing this," and now all of a sudden, because Obama <laughs> wanted it, the right wingers are all, "Hey, he's going to try and do this to control him." <laughs> Jesus Christ! I yeah. wonder if the people who are trying to get net neutrality like abolished really believe it's going to help anyone or that they just see dollar signs it's dollar signs like, it's dollar signs they're getting bumps from from comcast and, and, and time warner and, and verizon yeah. and verizon was the biggest one did you see the fucking baby bullshit they put on the mm-hmm. internet the day the day that it, it passed and they're yeah. just like mm, and it's just like fuck. i feel like it bothers me that there's people like that out there who would do such like a thing that would hurt so many other people like it's like i i feel like i want a list of names of people who who like wanted to get rid of net neutrality because those are the people who do not have the public's interest in mind yeah yeah i'm gonna pull a jay and silent bob and go to their door to door and beat the crap out of them <laughs> or just just turn off their internet oh yeah, turn, yeah. there you go turn off their internet <laughs> well i mean it wouldn't be all that difficult to find who the cable companies are paying off you know like, there's an app for that now. There's That's a teenager true. who created an app That's specifically true. to find out which lobbyists are paying what, what senators. What yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your work, Carl. What do you, what do you talk, talk about? What you oh, do? yeah. Specifically what I do, I can say all that. I've been painting backgrounds in animation. So anytime you watch an animated show and you see the characters walking through some background, I paint all those and I separate them and layer them so that objects can move in front of each other if they're like running really fast and you see like telephone poles shooting by um i started out in game design Mm. and i i helped produce and create art assets for like some online mmos and then that was kind of i was about to create a cthulhu world-based mmo that i was pretty excited about but it was just so much work and 
sometimes you like on a small team you feel like you're doing a lot and an mmo is such a huge undertaking <laughs> that i was just i was sort of done and i heard about a studio down the street from me that was hiring for a web series and i was like yeah i'll i'll work for you guys and it was a really cool opportunity because another small team they just let me paint however i wanted so i kind of got to design the look of this web series with the color and tone and atmosphere nice and and actually it was, it was this project that uh, tom hanks was doing the voice for nifty yeah so everyone was really excited about it and uh it, a lot of people were really hard on it and the end project looked pretty cool but i mean it, it was kind of a, a flash in the pan in terms of popularity mm. um but yeah I, I i worked for for titmouse for a bit uh and some other some other studios and and yeah i just mostly do painting sometimes i'm asked to draw the backgrounds although that's not my strong point Mm. um and yeah you just work with the directors and the storyboard artists and the layout artists to you know get a tv show made uh the culture is pretty fun normally uh titmouse has really cool things like they do a smash uh smash party sometimes Mm. where they get a cage and they bring in a bunch of old TVs and printers and stuff and just <laughs> hit them with bats. Oh that God, sounds that awesome. Sounds so cathartic. It's actually really amazing. Um, you know, you have to sign a waiver, of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, they, they don't serve hard liquor at those parties <laughs> anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, actually, they just did a thing called Five Second Day where they, this is why they're such a cool company. They gave everyone in the company a day off to make their own animation on company time. Oh, wow. To do five seconds of animation on your own time. Yeah, and the thing is, it sort of ballooned out. Like, they're, people get so excited about it, they spend, like, a week of their own time doing it, and they maybe <laughs> spend the last, the five-second day actually compositing it together. Uh, but they do really amazing-looking stuff, and, you know, it's it's... Sure, it's a lot of fart jokes and maybe some really lowbrow humor, but some of it was really beautiful. And mm. they they screened it at the Egyptian, so yeah. Same time that's next cool. year, they'll be they'll be doing it. That's super cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's mostly all there is to it. You just sit in front of a Cintiq and mm-hmm. you know, you draw on the screen, you paint, and you hope you hope the art director likes what you do, and that you get your deadlines in on time. Uh. Yeah, it's it's super fun. It's not what I thought I'd end up doing, but I kind of like sort of leaned into it based on the skills I had. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was part of a crowd of people who wanted to be concept artists, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to conceptart.org and learn how to like to draw the like like the Gears of War guys with their space armor <laughs> and machine guns. Never mind that there's only like five concept art jobs in the entire United States. There really only is. There, there's very few and the people who get those jobs they get them because they're very good and very fast mm-hmm. and uh you know craig mullins was one of the first concept artists who got really big and now like three three dozen people paint like him wow. so mm-hmm. yeah same with uh justin sweet same with yep. uh anything chet czar does for concept art like you know, as soon as he gets hired, um, there's going to be a ton of monsters that look like his stuff. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah but, but I think that's kind of all artists kind of start 
at least my approach to art has always been find something that you like and start with that and then kind of branch right. off into your own, find right. your own you voice with Right, you have to it. start somewhere. Right. Um, speaking of, Carl, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give to people trying to get into the animation industry? Oh, if you're trying to get into animation, be aware of the studios that are hiring, the kind of portfolios they're looking for, and, you know, maybe one of the best ways to sort of ask people in person and get one-on-one experiences to go to some life drawing sessions around LA and Hollywood. Like there's stuff going on at the animation guild in Burbank. Mm-hmm. There's stuff going on at Titmouse at Nomon at red engine. You just go, there's the daily dose that we daily, go to. daily dose mm-hmm. down, down in the warehouse district. Mm-hmm. So you just go to these, uh, you find like the people <laughs> Maybe, I was going to say, find the people who draw the best and talk to them. But, I mean, that's not too far off. Like, find people who are working at the studios and be like, what's it like there? Can I ask you a few questions about it? And, you know, they'll give you the straight dope. And, you know, if you're, uh, your life drawings are a pretty good indication of kind of where you are generally, like, for character animation. So, if they see your drawings and you're like, okay, this person's up to snuff, like, you know... I mean, if I saw... Actually, this happened once. I was at, at the Burbank uh, life drawing uh, class with Carl Nass, and I saw this one guy, and his drawings were really solid. And he was like, yeah, I've been trying to break into animation. So I was like, all right, um, here's like the email for uh, ADHD. Here's the producer. Here, go for it. And he got the job. Nice. nice. So uh, that was my one good deed I ever did <laughs> for animation people. Um, so yeah, I, and I guess aside from that, you just got to get your stuff out there. Work hard, have an online portfolio up. Um, don't do just fan art. You need to show a range that you're like creative and can come up with your own ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that is the advice I would give. Awesome. So again, like everything else, just start doing it and, and just start doing just it. Start doing it. Yeah. Get your stuff out there. Immerse yourself in the places that those artists are and where they go to practice and you know you'll pick up a lot uh also living here is useful because there are a lot of small boutique animation studios Mm -hmm. yeah uh like starburn wild brain uh film roman well some of them are bigger than that Mm -hmm. but uh yeah yeah klasky scupo was Mm -hmm. down on on wilshire not wilshire oh the other one was a Highland. No, Some... not Highland. Um, I know where you're talking about because yeah. it's right by Doomies. <laughs> yes, it's uh, Vine, Vine, and, and Franklin. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's where, that's where Doomies is. Well, Doomies is on Vine and Fountain. Fountain, I know Fountain. It's, Fountain. Uh, I get Fountain and Franklin next. It's time. it's I think a little after Doomies, so it's probably on Vine. Folks, for those of you not in LA, we'll be right back. We're we're doing LA talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> Inner city shop talk. No, yeah, okay, yeah. That's. I mean, that's that's all I have to say about. Are you comfortable talking about some of the, of your work that we may have seen? Sure. Yeah. So the coolest thing I worked on is a show called Motor City, mm-hmm. and it was on the Disney XD channel. It was Chris P, the owner of Titmouse's, sort of like it was his baby for like a decade. 
he had tried pitching this on MTV back when MTV had their liquid television. Liquid television. Yeah. And it was like kind of supposed to be edgier and it's like a rebel kid in a, you know, sort of dystopian society and it's like a car gang and, you know, they're rebelling against like the autocratic technological rulers and, you know, it never got off the ground. But ten years later they pitched it to Disney as like a bunch of like young car gang people uh in this subterranean uh anarchic world with an overworld run by like a steve jobs-esque guy (laughs) he had he had like turned the overworld into like a clean crisp like steve jobsy like iphone looking world (laughs) rounded edges yeah and they were and they were rebelling against that basically they're like we want our freedom so we're gonna live underground and like ride cars and be jagged and have corners (laughs) and 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 uh mark hamill actually did the voice for the uh villain which was great oh yeah he's such an amazing voice actor Mm -hmm. he's the only person who should ever voice the joker the only one Mm -hmm. yeah um, so that was a really cool project to work on. Everyone was super excited about it because everyone it was, it was a sweet looking project. And I wish they had done more seasons, but we only did one. So there was Motor City, there was Electric City, uh, there was Axe Cop, which was a popular web comic. Right, written by a five year old. Written by a five year old. Drawn by a twenty something year old. <laughs> yeah, and and I drew backgrounds on that and did some painting. Uh, I worked on Turbo Fast for Netflix, which is about that lovable snail who wants to go fast. Um, it was, yeah, it was a paycheck's cool. Paycheck's a paycheck, right? <laughs> we actually we did we we did some of our best work on that show. Like we worked really hard on it. Um, I mean, you can only make so many snail puns though before <laughs> it runs dry. Uh, that's that's about it. A couple little video games no one's ever heard of um a couple shorts um i worked on a thing with metallica that was probably the other cool thing yeah yeah i don't know if that's out on the internet yet or if it ever will be so i (laughs) i can't talk about it too much but Mm. i did backgrounds for that and it was pretty sick cool um you you know here's here's a topic i'm kind of curious about as someone who just got into like the dot doth the goth industrial scene like <laughs> half a year ago like i'm just kind of curious about like the nuances of it and like my perception of it is very limited because i've only been there so much and i just go to like dance and get sweaty and then well everyone's there to dance and get sweaty it's not a place to hook up well it seems like a lot there's a fair amount of people who are just there like hanging out on the seats that's true. Oh, that, yeah, that's it's very a true. It's a social. It's a social aspect. Speaking as the elder goth in the room, <laughs> um, I started going to goth clubs probably right after I turned twenty-one. Mm-hmm. Back in the nineteen hundreds, and the long, long ago. <laughs> um, time. Yeah, um, but yeah, there's always been okay. The, the goth thing started off as a as a post punk movement. Right. It wasn't even called goth. Goth didn't really come get that term until probably the late eighties, mid to late eighties. Even though death rock and and post punk kind of really started in the late seventies, um, but the goth club scene was predominantly about the music. It's it's mostly about 
going to dance. You go to a goth club because you want to dance. Right. Mm-hmm. The second aspect is the social aspect, which is not necessarily a dating or or hooking up aspect of social socializing. Right. Like a lot of more mainstream club uh, club genres or club um, uh, scenes are. Um, the the third lower aspect is um there's actually a fair amount in the within the social realm of it there's a fair amount of nerd culture that happens oh, yeah. um mm-hmm. most of the goths i know are artists and graphic artists and designers and they're really into star wars and star trek and doctor who and, i mean like and, every kid in the goth scene was the biggest nerd at their high school and right. they're just trying to hide right. that with right. so much eyeliner right. so much but eyeliner. it's like we we know we mm-hmm. know you're mm-hmm. a nerd <laughs> yeah there's a big most goths are are actually very cuddly and nerdy right down the the center stripe of them mm-hmm. but they just they the goth thing to me has always I've always seen it as an intentional affectation so as to keep people at arm's length. To purposely put people off so that you can instantly tell if someone's going to approach you in a friendly manner when you're head to toe in black and wearing eyeliner and white makeup and blah, 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 and you're a dude with painted nails and maybe black lipstick. If someone's still going to approach you and talk to them, they might be worth your time. And everybody else... Fuck them. You don't care. You don't want to talk to them. You're trying to keep them at, at, at arm's length. Although I, I will say, like, I definitely have very goth girl predilections in terms of my taste in men. So, you know, if I see a guy with, like, a giant mohawk or long dark hair and some guy liner wearing all black, I'm usually like, hey, baby, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, there's something kind of provocative about the, the goth-y look. That I think is sort of like I don't know. I think it looks pretty cool. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, goth women to me are. I mean, the the whole either the goth or the um, what I used to call the Silver Lake girls, <laughs> which was the um, alt version of the Catholic schoolgirl skirt and shirt with a metal lunchbox purse and yeah. Doc Martens added to that. Um, a, a girl who was wearing, who was kind of dressed like a Catholic schoolgirl, but you knew that if it came down to it, you were going to get a fistful of, uh, you know, a fistful of fuck you. A fist of <laughs> you're going to this motherfucker's going to going to taste my metal. Um, <laughs> you would get that, and 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 you know the keeping at arm's length thing. Still, it's it's a it's a it's an affectation so as to weed out people, and beyond that, it really is just kind of an affectation. I mean, a lot of us all have you know, black socks and black underwear as well and blah, 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 and, <laughs> and, and, and everything. But it's primarily about the music and yeah. finding mm-hmm. community within that common interest and the nerd culture. The final part of it is the, the, the way lower on the priorities list at the bottom of the list is the whole hooking up dating kind, right. of, kind of aspect Like, to usually, it. like, whenever I've hooked up with a guy in the goth scene, it's like we were friends first for a long time, and then eventually it's like, uh, do you want to cuddle and make out? Dipping okay. into the friend pool. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, as opposed to friends list. That, mm, as opposed to, uh, no, what's the... Uh, uh, friend zoning. Uh, friend zoning. As opposed to friends, a different thing. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, um, so... In terms of that, I mean, does that explain more about... It, it does. I also, like, you're right, it, it's mostly about dancing. It's the only club I've seen where I've seen kind of, like, adult men 
not necessarily even dress up to go out to the club like on the dance cubes like rocking mm-hmm. out and i think that's beautiful i think yeah. that's great fantastic um, we should we should give a shout out to uh justin um you know justin justin benty the long um, hair? I don't know. Oh, okay. He's he's oh. always up there on the... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Long Justin, brown yes, hair, yes, 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 he's yes. an incredible dancer. Been friend, yeah, like, I've been friends yeah. with my wife for a very long time. Yeah. And obviously yeah. a shout-out to Christian Vox, who, who does... Oh, uh, dude, who, she's the best DJ in town, who has like, the, hands down. Has the best best club promoter, too. Um, I do have a soft spot in my, uh, spot in my heart for uh, Jason Farber. Mm-hmm. I have a huge DJ crush on him. But I've been going to Christian Club since probably 2001, 2002. I, I was going to Club Noir under an o- overpass in Culver City back in Old 2001, school. 2002. Cool. Yeah. And I was, uh, you know, a, a DJ and a, a bar back and um, etc. and a club patron at clubs in Denver for years yeah. and years. The Rec Room and uh, Deadbeat mm-hmm. Club and places I like mean, that. I mean, I've been going to uh, Zion Vox's clubs. I'm going to use her DJ name so people can find her. Which is weird. It takes me a minute to be like, Chris, no, right. Zion Vox. I've been going to her club since I was about 18, 19. Um, so it's been almost 10 years now. But one thing I do have to say, I was thinking about this. Like, if I had to put together a gothic etiquette primer, the first thing on the list is goth girls dance alone. Nobody, like, wants you coming up behind them and trying to, like, grind on their ass. Like, this is not that kind of club. Like, if you try that shit, you will get decked. There will be, like, ten people on you ready to kick your ass. The way to approach a goth girl is after she comes off the dance floor and at a respectful distance, you say, I really like the way you dance. And then you turn around and you walk away. Yes. If she likes you and she thinks you're interesting, she will come after you. She will will then approach you later. Or... Or you go onto the dance floor as she's coming off, and then you go out and do your own dancing, and goth girls like guys who can dance. Yep. So if you go out and dance on the dance floor, and you actually can dance kind of in goth fashion, which is kind of more of an ethereal uh, form, it's very emotive, it's very emotionally driven, it's very... um, Vulnerable. There's a lot of vulnerability mm-hmm. to goth dancing. Industrial dancing completely different. Yeah, that's, that's all about anger, aggression, the plane stomping. And the yes. Smurf. <laughs> yes. Right. But the way to the way to to date a goth girl to to start up a conversation is to talk about what everybody's there to do, which is the music or the dancing. And if you get a, a dirty look or you get whatever and you get shot down. You're done. Move on. You're yeah. not going to get any further with yeah. that. Maybe next week you say the same thing, but you just let it go. And that's the thing is, you know, in the goth scene, women and men have equal power in, mm-hmm. in that of whom they are going to talk to, whom they are going to be interested in, yeah. whom they are going to dance with or around or talk to, whatever. Right. Um, but it's not the kind of place where, like, no. you know, you can just go up to a girl on a dance floor and start grinding on her. Like, that does not happen. Or and go up and buy her a drink. You can't just be like, here, I bought you a drink. She's yeah. not going to drink it because you might have roofied it. Yeah. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, but, you know, are we talking within our sphere? Because I'm trying to think, is there club out there where that's cool to normal do? Normal clubs. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. the last time I was at a normal club clubs, was for, techno like... clubs. Yeah. The last time I was at a normal club was for a friend's birthday, and this is how much I love that friend, is I was willing to step foot in a normal club for them. Uh-huh. But, like, 
I wasn't even on the dance floor. I was like dance floor adjacent drinking a drink and this guy came up behind me and tried to start humping my ass. So like, of course I elbowed him and I was like, what the fuck? But he was like really offended. He's like, I was just trying to dance with you. And for me, it's like, when did sexual assault become like an acceptable way to like show interest in a woman? Like that's fucked up. Yeah. Like just, no, well, don't touch that's me. That's been going on for 10,000 years, but um, right. yeah, and the, the other thing that you have to realize about goth clubs is if you try to pursue that that woman further than the point of you've been shut down, there's a whole bunch of probably very large and 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 rather guys who are into long swords and mm-hmm. and bladed weapons well, and men other things, and women. men and women, <laughs> people they, they have friends. They're there with friends. And there are people who will will hurt you and, well, and not, you know. Your wife, Danny, was a member of the Brute Squad. Yep. And I remember when I first started coming out, when I was like 18, 19, I'd be on the floor and Danny would come up to me and she'd be like, hey, how are you doing, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, it's good to see you. And she's like, just so you know, there was some creeper trying to get close to you, but don't worry, Brute Squad handled it. And I was like, what? I didn't even notice. Oh my god, you guys are amazing. So yeah. there's definitely a culture of yeah. like solidarity they and we all look other. out for our and, own. Yeah, there's the you know, the gossip and the bitching and the this person doesn't like that person, this used to the person that used to date that person <laughs> and oh my god, this person's stalking me and there is all that. And that's part of everything everywhere, anywhere you go. And that is there, but it's not the focus for right. most people. Right. And there's that underlying solidarity. Like, the last time there was some, like, normal guy tourist at the club, like, again, he came up behind me and tried to do something. And before I could even turn around and handle it, Jesse was there, like, in between the two of us, you know, pushing yep. the guy away from me. Yep. Jay was, like, in the corner. Yep. Jeff was also, like, ready to go. And uh, Davey, too, like you know, came up to me afterwards and she was like, did that guy try and assault you? Mm. So it's it's very much yeah. a culture of we look out for our own. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I was going to say, like, maybe this would be, like, tagged, like, goth industrial club PSA. <laughs> but But then I was thinking more into it and I was like, the kind of person who would take their time to, like, listen to a podcast to find out how to act at a goth club would probably pick up on it pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although there are aspects of the scene that seem kind of intimidating, right? Because people look kind of spooky. Well, <laughs> people look kind of spooky, but also people also look, from a physicality standpoint, hypersexual. Mm. Hypersexualized. There's a lot of sensuality and sexuality yeah. to the goth movement, both men and women. But it's a very safe space to do right, that in. Right, right. It's people who want to express themselves in that way who aren't aren't looking for reciprocal attention in right. that fashion. And some people would say, well, that's antithetical to... But it's like, no. Women want to look good for us. Like, if I'm putting on a sexy outfit, it's because it makes me feel good. Bam. And with all the women in the goth scene, like, I'd hazard to guess 100% that they are putting on sexy outfits because it makes them feel good. Yep. And they want to look good for themselves. They're dressing good for themselves. Yeah. It's not for you. It's not, not about trying, your dick. They're not, they're <laughs> not trying to get your attention just so they can shut you down. They're not mm-hmm. trying to be a cocktease. Yeah. They're dressing that way because that makes them feel good. Again, like, it's not about you and your boner, bro. Like, no. this isn't for you. <laughs> Danny and I were at a club we used to go that used to be every Thursday 
and we went and perversion. Uh, yeah, and back <laughs> when it was in at in Hollywood and uh oh, I missed the Ruby. Yeah, and we were there and it was, you know, usual dead Thursday night kind of thing, not very many people and Danny's always the first person on the floor and mm-hmm. one of the we were usually one of the first people to leave around ten, thirty, eleven. She's out there dancing, and this this drunk guy, normal guy, comes in and just starts grinding on her. And she goes, she just stops, she stops, and she just turns around and she grabs him on the, and she kind of puts her hands on his shoulders, and she says, and and kind of slowly pushes him back away from her, and said, "Dude, you're in the wrong place. You are not going to get laid here. Goth girls just want to dance, and they want to dance alone. To mm-hmm. you, to you, take your drink and your boner and leave." You're not going to get laid tonight. And uh, for those of you who don't know Danny, like I love her so much. I consider her one of my closest friends. But me too. <laughs> but I will say, like, I do not think twice about getting in a fight with anyone. Like I do Muay Thai, I've done Wing Chun Kung Fu. Like if somebody wants to go, like let's fucking go. <laughs> I would <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Hmm? But that being said, I would not get in a fight with Danny. Like, Danny is the one person where if she wanted to fight me, I'd be like, are you sure you don't want to talk about this? Like, oh my god, she's so strong, and I know she could totally, like, kick my ass. So, for those of you who don't know, Danny is very intimidating, and she can hold her own in a fight, and I love her for awesome. it. Well, is there anything left that we haven't covered that you're kind of un- unaware of the, the, the goth industrial scene that you want Hmm. Clarity about yeah. How can we be good fairy uh, goth parents? <laughs> I mean, I know Vox. She has a website where she kind of schedules out everything. But most everything is on Facebook. But yeah. Facebook is probably the best way to keep track of it. That's one of my other problems. Like, I don't hear about things in time, and you know, I guess it's just a matter of looking at yeah. Facebook and get on all the yeah. lists. And actually, yeah. you can you can set up alerts for all that stuff. So when mm-hmm. a new event from hers comes up, it lets you know. Yeah. You can also tie them into your calendar, too, So as mm-hmm. Kitty Brown proved recently. Yep. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of the, the, the kind of nuances of it, it really is one of those things where if you look like you are in, had intended to get dressed up and go out to a goth club, and that's not to say you have to, then one of the nice things about being an elder goth is I can shop at Hot Topic again, or I can just... Throw on black a pair a pair of black knee shorts and a black tank top and I'm and boots and I'm good. I did. I don't have Friday. to get all gussied up. I don't have to wear guyliner. I don't have to wear a big fluffy shirt that's going to make me sweat my eyes out. You know, sweat my <laughs> balls off. I don't have to do that. I can wear whatever I want and nobody's going to bat an eye. Yeah. I don't have to impress anybody anymore. Right, it's kind of right. nice. Having been in the scene for almost ten years, I feel like I can get away with the same. And mm-hmm, funny enough, mm-hmm. I was at Mel and I was just feeling extra lazy, so I'm like, all right, black tank top, black jeggings. You know, black boots. Let's go. And I got more compliments on my outfit yeah, when I wasn't yeah, trying than yeah. when I'm like, I'm actually going to dress up. And about do a year pretty. ago, I was just like talking about. Wow. So we were we were damn. Where were we? We were at Mal when Mal was at um, that other. Oh, at True. At True. Yeah. We're downstairs in the basement. It's a billion degrees downstairs. <laughs> dancing. I'm sweating my ass off, and I'm talking to Allison, and I said. Jesus Christ, I'm just so warm. I, I, but I, you know, I just had to, you know, gotta get dressed up and go to the club or whatever. And I said, I'd, I'd be more comfortable in shorts and a tank top. And she goes, Why don't you just wear shorts and a tank top? And I'm yeah. like, Well, yeah, but I'm kind of fat and stuff. And she goes, So? Yeah. Wear shorts and a tank top. I'm sure you'll look shit. fine. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> and Allison is one of those people who I, I have a really, really healthy respect for her opinion and her. 
she has a way that, and I don't mean to tell tales out of school or whatever, but she is a very, very much in control of her sexual being. And, and, and as a, as a dude, seeing a woman who has that much personal sexual power is at times intimidating, but also at times I have an immense, intense admiration for her. She is 1000% in control, has her own sexuality and her control over that in the palm of her hand at her command at any given moment has no doubts, no, no self doubt, no, no self, uh, you know, anything like that. And so it's very admirable from that respect for her to say that to me, that just wear shorts and a tank top Mm -hmm. was a very powerful statement to where it's like, wow, I guess I could really actually, because Danny's going to say you can wear that anyway, because she likes the way I look no matter what, because you know, I put a ring on it. So, but, (laughs) but, for her to say that, and the next week I wore shorts and boots and tank top was way more comfortable, mm-hmm. and I actually felt sexy for the first time in a really long All time. All right. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. Uh, side note, I went to Malediction wearing all blue. Oh, for the Aquarius That one fall. time. Nice. Only person wearing blue. Didn't feel judged about it. No, but you were uh, you were correct because I remember back in the day the zodiac balls used to be a big thing where people would go, oh my god, I don't have any red, I can't go, yeah. you know. So you were you were correct yeah. in following the theme. <laughs> but yeah, and I mean maybe people knew that, and that's one of the reasons they didn't be like, why are you wearing all blue? <laughs> uh, but I didn't, I, even though I looked different, I didn't feel like anyone was silently judging me. Or anything, so yeah, it, you're right. It does feel like a safe place for for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think just everyone in the goth scene is too busy dancing, too busy like doing things for themselves. Like they literally just do not have the fucks to give. All of their fucks are invested in other ventures. You know. Well, we do we do kind of mock tourists under our breath, but you know you can tell the people that are there to to that are there within the spirit of was which intended. Yeah. And you can tell. I stumbled over those words. <laughs> or who are there to just leer and 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 you know be looky loose or or, or try to get laid. <laughs> oh oh okay. I as long as we're kind of doing an industrial goth PSA, one more point I'd like to bring up really sure. quick. So mosh pitting. Yeah. Um, the first time I was in a mosh pit that was like brewing, like this lady started walking around in circles with her elbows out like that this. would be Danny. Yeah. That would oh. have been my wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, like I, I got like side brush and I was like that seems kind of rude but then it kept on happening and I was like maybe there is a thing happening <laughs> and if uh, ever you hear ministries so what yeah, there's gonna be a if pit. Christians play so what that means Danny's gonna go out she gives the nod to Danny Danny goes out starts the pit and it happens <laughs> and that's the thing and you either join in or you get out of the way. Yeah. Or you can all get, I mean, they always leave enough room out at the corners where you can just still just dance and stomp around and not have to get, right. you know, mangled or whatever. Right. But, or but the, the pits box. are always very friendly, too. Yeah. It seems like, yeah, it's it's all in pretty good uh, form. Yeah. Like, people are kind of crashing around, but they're being kind of mindful at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's no, it's no, uh, lo- it's no uh, uh, Woodstock 94, <laughs> 96, whatever year it was. Where, yeah. But but yeah, like I guess that's an important point to make. If you're at a club like that and you, you that happens, like you shouldn't take it personally <laughs> that like they are like trying to like shove you off the dance floor. They're, no, they're trying to start a pit with you. And also like, it's also like the the aggression during a mosh pit. Like I it, I can tell it's sort of pastiche a little. Like it's not 
super serious, even though people might like front acting really aggressive. That's sort of like in line with like the character of a mosh pit. Yeah, you know, so it's okay. It's okay for that. Um, I don't know. I, I thought that was an interesting thing. I hadn't been in a mosh pit since I was in college. And, <laughs> uh, it was cool to see one. Yeah. The end. Uh, mm. oh, 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 I guess one one more story I can say is the limited experience I have going to normal clubs in LA. I went out with some friends because they're like, "We want to go clubbing down in Hollywood," and Ew. you come on, drive us around, and we ended up in the little sort of speakeasy next to Bar Sinister. <laughs> the one across the street? The, red, the Velvet Room or whatever it's called? Yeah, off Cherokee. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So we were in there, and we didn't. We had no idea what Bar Sinister was, but like it was there, like there was a guy with like a little earphone thing at the end of the hall with the door, and we were like looking in the door, and the guy was like, hey, you want to you wanna get in here? Like, you know, because it was like two attractive-looking girls and me and like a day glow sweater uh <laughs> and he was like yeah you guys it's, it's kind of like a spanking club do you guys do you guys want to you guys want to stop in and they were like well i don't know and i was like let's no i don't i'm not dressed right for that or maybe i'm dressed perfectly and, and they'll, you know uh but but the other club we went to it was this club that had like two underground stories off of sunset and the first thing i saw when i got to the door is two guys carrying a woman like passed out across sunset like to like sit her down on like a ledge and you know that was like the first thing i saw and i was like okay whoa and and i got into the club and it was just really it's kind of boring there weren't a lot of people actually dancing and that was disappointing to me like that i've not seen a lot of dancing at normal clubs and that discourages me because that's kind of like I don't. I'm not good at socializing at clubs, and you know, I like to think there's something else I can do there besides just sit in the corner and not feel like I'm the weird person because I'm dancing. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems like the case sometimes, right? right? You, yeah. you feel like you're the weird one for dancing and getting out on the dance floor. In the goth scene, it's just the opposite. It's yeah. usually like, why aren't you dancing? What, right. What's wrong? Oh, Are I've had okay? Jason come out from the back room at Mal, out onto the patio while I'm talking to this. I am playing Goodbye Horses for you right now. Where are you? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, t- I'll tuck and come in. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, mm-hmm. I had a moment um, a couple weeks back where like I heard, um, I think it was like an accessory song or something that Amanda was playing, and like I came running to the floor like towards the end of the song, and she looped it um, when I got on the box so I could dance to the Aww. song again, and I was like, oh, I love it, I love the song. Like, so yeah. many squishy feels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one more question. Did I really miss out on a lot? Because I missed uh, uh, that one club, uh, the, the one that everyone knows, Das Bunker. No. 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 Well, I mean, if you really like hard industrial and power noise, then maybe. But if not, then it's not so much. It's That club was very, very aggro vibe, very, mm-hmm. very... This is about paranoia and the music. Very, I mean, even more so than the goth thing of this is about all about the music and this scene and everybody there is is really aggressive and really wanting to stomp and really wanting to you know 
you know. Um, my experience at Bunker as a girl was very different from a lot of my other experiences at other goth clubs because oh. Bunker was the place where I would have guys try and do things that happen outside the goth scene. Like last oh. time I was at Bunker, I was in the retro room dancing. And this guy came up behind me and tried to put his arm around my waist. Um, and while he was doing that, he was like, you want to dance? And I shoved him. I was like, don't fucking touch me. But, like, that stuff would happen to me every so often at Barson. And that's not yeah. something that would happen at Perversion or at Malediction or yeah. at Disco Necro or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason, too, is because, like, Bunker was 18 and over rather than 21 and mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. So it was always, like, a lot of younger guys yeah. who were trying to be smooth and... Hadn't quite mm-hmm. figured out, you know, talking so, to people yet. <laughs> the, thing, the thing that people who aren't in the goth and our industrial scene, they see women dressing or or affecting to express themselves sexually, not knowing that they're not that those women are not looking for reciprocal attention. Right. That they're doing that as a personal expression of who they are and a, a way to express themselves. You know, maybe they have to wear, you know, do business business dress at work and they can't, you know, they can't wear something low cut or they can't wear something that reveals or something with a high skirt or this mm-hmm. or that. Or they can't go out in a bra and underwear and fishnets, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they go that because that's their outlet for that and it's supposed to be a safe space for that. And so right. the outsiders... People and I hate to use the word outsiders when I make it seem like it's a big click. And some mm-hmm. a lot of people have complained about that about goth clubs and industrial clubs. It seems like this big click, and I didn't but meet we're anybody. Really friendly, it's we like swear. we really are. But if you're there <laughs> for the right reasons, and you're there because you genuinely are interested in the music, number one, and genuinely interested in in dancing, in, in dancing and the culture and mm-hmm. everything that goes mm-hmm. along with it, you'll be welcomed. If you're coming just to try and get your dick wet, it's not going to work. Yeah, and if you're coming, it's also not going to happen. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you know, I mean, there's some really, you know, it's one of those things where if you're gonna go, if you're gonna go, okay, let's say you're gonna you're gonna get up on a on a Saturday and go hit up a mosque. There's some protocols to be had there, and I'm not trying to equate goth culture with a religion. But you go to anywhere that is a cultural center yeah. right. that's not part of mainstream culture. When Just, in Rome. You go to you go to a park. You go to a park in America on a Saturday, and people are playing baseball and people are having picnics. Blah blah blah. You're not going to just go walk right into the middle of their picnic and say, "Hey, can I? You know, you got an extra plate for me?" Or, "Hey, can I play your baseball game?" Maybe with soccer, it's a little different, but you know, there's <laughs> protocols in, in everywhere you go. Yeah. And going to a goth club, it's no exception. Now, if you you know throw on your 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 makeup and your clothes and you you know your dark clothes and you go to the goth, goth club and you pay your money to get in and you go and you dance and you try to strike up a conversation with people, you know. It, Goth people are used to being keeping people at arm's length, as I said, and it might take a little while to break in. But if you if you go there expecting to just be able to try and not necessarily pit pay dirt on everything you want right when you walk in, you right. have to mm-hmm. keep your expectations open and broad right. and broad and and it's very much like when in Rome, right? You know? like- right. <laughs> right. And so, like I said, some people have criticized it for being clicky or, or 
you know, uh, you have to know people or blah, blah, blah. But, you know, anybody can... I, I moved to L.A. I have tons and tons of friends who I met at golf clubs in Same L.A. Here. And I moved here in 1997. And when I started here, I was just going and hanging out and yeah. starting up conversations with people. I was going and dancing and enjoying myself and starting up conversations with people. And I, mean, like, and I eventually made friends. It's just... It's a process. Yeah. And it's about knowing how to approach people. Right. Again, like, if you right. approach someone, like, you know, especially, like, if you approach a woman, like, hey, baby how you doing you're gonna get shot down but if you're like hey I really like your dancing or oh I noticed that you know you're wearing like this band shirt like let's talk about Covenant or you know right like, or whatever. my my friend Sue I, I met her because she always wore stripy stockings and mm-hmm. Danny and I called her to each other we called her stripy, uh, stripy sock girl and one day I said I love your stripy socks and you're cute patootie and I walked away yeah I just said hey I really dig your outfit and I walked away mm-hmm. not expecting anything in return I wasn't there to try I wasn't giving her a compliment because I wanted something back. Right. I was just giving her a compliment. Like, I know I've talked a lot about bad male behavior at the clubs. I want to give a shout out to this one guy at Perv back in the day when it was at the Ruby. I was on the dance floor and, mm-hmm. you know, I had been on for a while and, like, I got tired and I get off the dance floor and this guy, you know, is like, excuse me, I didn't want to be rude and interrupt your dancing, but just so you know, you're an incredible dancer. And I was That's like, nice. whoa, thank you. Like, that is the way to approach and, someone. And then don't act like you're expecting a response. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, say the compliment and if they're just like, then, yeah, then that's, that's that's great. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I would say, you know, uh, this is why we can't have nice things as a society. <laughs> Absolutely. This is why we can't have people walking around every day looking like they're like sexy people from a goth club mm-hmm. because... Because it's not a safe space. It's not a safe space. Yeah. Yet... Hopefully, mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. Hopefully, we, we mature into a society where people can wear whatever they want to not feel like they're going to be judged or catcalled or, or singled yeah. out. I mean, I think it's just, you know, understanding that, you know, at the core of it, clothing is not consent. Yeah. You know, clothing is absolutely not consent. Whether you're a cosplayer, whether you're a goth person, you know, whether you're just like someone on the street, your clothing is not consent. I'm just going to keep repeating that until it sinks into everyone's brain. <laughs> well, 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 here's here's the thing that baffles me. Uh, logically, like the kind of guys who make catcalls, they're all about seeing girls in less clothing because they're like, oh yeah, look at that hot lady. Oh man, she's so hot. But why can I... Why can they not wrap their mind around the concept that catcalling these ladies who are wearing less clothing is counterproductive to <laughs> seeing ladies with less clothing? Yeah. 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 That makes them want to put the clothing back on. Yes. Mm-hmm. So- I mean, I would dress in my goth wear every single day and go down the street and just go to like the no, market I, like that. No, it up to me. I'd have my hair dyed and my nails painted all the time and everything. Right. But the, the field that I'm in, I can't. I just can't do that. Yeah. So. Well, my point being is like I can't walk down the street in my black pleated little mini skirt and my docks and my fishnets, you know, without like at least five guys, you know, catcalling me or saying something stupid. So like. It sucks that I have to modify my fashion and my behavior, you know, but it's like, well, I could, you know, dress the way I want all the time, or I could end up, you know, getting arrested for punching someone in the face for saying something really dirty to me. Right. Like, these right. are my two options. Right. <laughs> right. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, but you bring so, up a good point. <laughs> so, um, what 
l- l- real quick, back to what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is it safe to assume that you had influences in the world of animation? Oh, geez. Your Michael Maltese's and your your other guys who did backgrounds and oh yeah, um, and Abe Levitow, I think, and some other guys like that. I have a broad influence of different artists. Uh, shout out to one of my teachers back in the day, Linda Dorn. Oh, cool. She was an amazing life drawing teacher who really, like, she talked the talk, but also, like, walked the walk. She was like, draw what you see. Oh, also look at my amazing drawings that are a result of practicing my suggestions, like, because her art was beautiful. Really nice and expressionistic, but with kind of like a... Imagine kind of like Egon Shield, but with like an oh. animation edge. So it kind of had like a nice like contemporary feel to it. What was her name again? Uh, Linda Dorn. Okay. She's she's awesome. She was super inspiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like seeing people like her work, I was definitely inspired to be in animation. When I went to school, my first choice, CalArts, didn't let me into their animation program. They're like, do foundations and then see if maybe you can get in after your first year. And I was like, no, I don't want to do, I don't want to play that game. So yeah, uh, definitely a lot of classical illustrators, NC Wyeth, uh, a lot of concept artists like James Gurney and Phil Hale and, uh, you know, Brom of course was, I liked Brom even before I knew who he was because of all the cool card art he would do. Um, yeah. And, even Earl, who did all the backgrounds for Sleeping Beauty, his big stylized trees. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the list just goes on, and you know, as contemporaries, you pick and choose which ones you like, and you learn what you can from each. Because as a background artist on shows, you have to be very flexible with your style. Yeah. Like actually, if I showed you guys a picture of the style I'm working in now versus the style I did for my last show, it's like night and day. Uh, <laughs> They're so drastically different from each other. One of them's very gradient and slick and like airbrush polished, and the other is very simpler and almost it almost feels kind of naive in the style. But that's the trick. Um, it's not naive. It's actually very sophisticated, but it's sophisticated because it's trying to look simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it's it's simplicity on the far side of complexity. It's simple because of all the stuff you know about art in order to make it simple again. Mm-hmm. It's like how a really good artist can have a very simple image compositionally, but they know how to make it appealing because they know so much about composition. Right, right. Um, well, it's like the people who... who, Or like writing a really elegant line of code. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or somebody who just walks up to a piano and just starts tinkling the keys and it just seems effortless for them and it just seems like they're just messing around... Uh, but then, but they know you, you don't know the, the the oceans of time they spent sitting in front of a piano, right. probably from the time that they were really really young, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or you know, like Steve Martin with his banjo, it just sounds like he's mm-hmm. messing around, but he really is one of the probably most gifted banjo artists in the world. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, in addition to his comedy. Uh, also, uh, Mister uh, Mister uh, Vulcan. Our, 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 our friend Leonard Nimoy uh, Not a terrible singer 
Oh, no, no. Yeah. Uh, I, I still love the Golden Throats album. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one with the Bilbo Baggins song? Oh, no, no, no. He did that on a different album, though, but I do. I have a special place in my heart for that, too. But Golden Throats <laughs> was a series that they did back in the 70s where they got other artists to sing and... and uh, one of my favorites is Shatter doing Mr. Tambourine Man. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Tambourine Man, would you play a song for me? Um, <laughs> but uh, Spock, uh, uh, Nimoy did some stuff too, and and uh, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think Cosby did some stuff too back in the day uh, when he wasn't raping people. So. Carl, plug your plug your shit. Where can people find your work online and, and okay. give us your online presences? Yeah, probably the two easiest places to check out my art. Um, it's hungerartist at deviantart.com. And that's my DeviantArt account I've had for, geez, like 11, 12 years now. Nice. I update that a lot. My Tumblr is wacomaddict, W-A-C-O-M addict.com and that's where I basically post the same things <laughs> I do some cross posting but I, and I try to keep them kind of distinct uh, that's where I update my work and I'm trying to get a store envy and a red bubble and all those online stores out someday but you know maybe when I have a lull in work as, as you know animation people as cool as it is you can go on very long hiatuses in between seasons mm-hmm. and there's no guarantee a show is going to be popular enough to get a season two or season right. three so mm-hmm. and besides it's good to keep those skills polished too so yep. oh yeah but the thing about artists they're constantly arting mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. can't sin against your talent no yeah. do it do you guys have any plugs plugs, <laughs> plugs? um well uh, I, yeah we'll, we'll get to our online presence yeah. in a minute before we do that we're talking about you okay. right now yeah. okay this is about you oh thanks guys. now that we've done co- talking about goth clubs for an hour <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm glad you asked that because I, I you know obviously Kitty and I both love talking yeah. about well, that. Well, and shit. now we I have like hours. a small primer that I can send to like all the sure, new people. Sure, sure. Listen to this episode of the podcast. Just listen to this. Listen you'll, to this be you'll, get, you'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> but um, what what's out now or coming out or has been out? Something things that you've seen recently, heard recently, read recently, viewed recently? Anything in any form of media um, that you're recommending people check out? Oh. Um, there's a lot of really neat animations just, you know, slip under the radar. Song of the Sea Mm. was actually beautiful. If you guys have heard of Secret of Kells, it's the same animation studio. Secret of Kells kind of had like a, eh, the ending wasn't as satisfying. This has like a real, like kind of Disney-esque, like big shebang ending. The art style is very beautiful it's like almost like moving uh stained glass in the way the characters have these big swooping gestures and forms mm-hmm. uh and the actual song in the movie is very beautiful um at a very limited run here in la it might still be playing in a few theaters but i mean i definitely check out the dvd song of the sea um uh i don't know i there's so many cool animations coming out there's going to be a thing called uh oh what's it called it's by the studio called steambot and the project's called urbans and the premise is that in the far-ish future uh gangs are divided along gender lines mm. huh. and like there's these inner city gangs of like men and women fighting each other uh, like you do 
And, <laughs> you know, it's it's pretty stylistically amazing. And there's been a lot of controversy about how they're going to sort of navigate the waters of the story they're trying to tell in a way that's like socially conscious and battle of the sexes. Kind yeah. Of thing. It's a delicate, it's delicate water to tread, but even if they totally botch it, like, which I don't think they will, the style of it looked amazing. Um, and I'm really excited about what it's going to look like. Uh, I mean, those are just two off the top of my head. I'm, I'm sure there's so much more I'm forgetting. Um, I guess, uh, just in the world of video games, uh, I'm really excited about Bloodborne because hmm. it looks like a high-end gothic like masterpiece of like a demon guy walking through like I don't know if you guys saw uh, Repo the genetic mm-hmm. opera yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's kind of like that except like a video game mm-hmm. from what I can tell maybe a little less technology mm-hmm. yeah so way cool oh, yeah Any, anything else you're recommending or Oh, oh, geez, I, I can't, I can't think of anything else sure. that exciting. Around just go, go to Life Drawing, guys. It's great. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Kitty, any recommendations? Um, I was told to check out the One Hundred. Um, it's a sci-fi show. Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten around to it, but um, given what I've been told about it, it sounds really cool. It's about like a post-apocalyptic, like post-nuclear Earth, and there's like five hundred people up on a spaceship, and then in order to like keep the spaceship going they start kicking out kids at like 18 and the show starts with them kicking out like a whole group of like teenagers and sending them down to earth but like the way that like earth is now it's like these warring tribes and like one of the tribes like they always have a female leader who's picked via reincarnation and so like the show starts off with one of the kids from the spaceship being the reincarnated leader and then going from there so i'm really stoked to check that Mm. out it sounds super cool cool (laughs) anything else um, let's see. Did I did I talk about how awesome the new um, Rexop album is? Because yeah, you said Rick's last, last time we okay. were on talk about. The new I Rick's I up. still am loving that. I'm not over it. It's great. So I'll cool. plug that again. <laughs> oh oh oh! Really, really quick, really sure. quick. Uh, Punk Rock Jesus by Sean Gordon Murphy, the artist about the, the purple dogs I mentioned right. earlier. Uh, Punk Rock Jesus is about a company that genetically. Uh, revives Jesus based on genetic samples from the Shroud of Turin <laughs> and sort of like they turn into a reality show and all the fallout that occurs from it. The guy's style is so amazing and if you're a fan of like punk rock aesthetic, I think he like hits the nail on the head with he does these dramatic black and white inked pages that are like super gritty but really well drawn and I just finished the graphic novel and it it's just, it was just stylistically, it was like a huge treat to, to read. Like all, all, all his, his stuff stylistically is just gold. It's really cool. fun to read. Cool. Um, we've been watching new season of Archer, and it's been a little hit and miss, but overall, I mean, they, there were a couple episodes where they, they clearly spent a lot of money on computer animation inside mm-hmm. the show. But then they had one episode where they're basically just trapped in an elevator, and the writing was there. It was it was because Archer's all about the writing and not yeah. about whatever you're seeing, <laughs> and and the, the best written show was them trapped in an elevator. That one was really really good. <laughs> um, the other thing is, I really want to recommend, even though I haven't seen it yet, I really want to recommend Kingsman: The Secret Service. I've been mm. dying to see that, and we almost went and saw it this weekend, but didn't get a chance to. But that's top tippity tip top of my list right now because it everybody says it's 
it just looks so goddamn cool, and it's just as cool and just as fun and just as everything as you hoped it, hope it to be. And I hope it's not overhyped for me at this point, but I still really want to go see it. I like the people who are in it, and it just looks like fun. I like spy shit anyway, and it just looks like just a real fun kind of spy romp movie with lots of good kind of funny fun action sequences and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I love you know spy tech and gadgets and and that whole kind of British upper crust thing and yeah. blah blah blah. I just like that as a as a trope and it, and it makes me happy. Nice, um, awesome. And also, uh, my son and I have started watching uh, first uh, the original se- seasons of SNL Saturday Night Live from nineteen seventy four seventy five, starting with George Carlin and going through. And uh, the thing that you'll find when you go back and watch those, they're not on Netflix anymore, but they are on Hulu Plus thing you'll find when you go back and watch them is just like today not every sketch is a hit Mm. and there's hit and miss and there's sketches that just do not work and nobody laughs and Mm -hmm. and, you know it happened back then too but the thing is is all those episodes were condensed down into half an hour little bite-sized nuggets per episode and the best of the best of the best was shown over and over and Mm -hmm. over again in syndication in little half hour nuggets uh you know or 20 minutes with commercials and so you really get this distilled version of, of SNL when really you need to go back and watch. We've got the first four seasons on DVD, and I want to get more, and I really want to delve. The SNL 40, if you haven't seen it, it's on the NBC.com. You can watch the show in its entirety on NBC.com, all three and a half hours of it. But it was worth it, and some of the sketches they tried to redo from the 70s didn't quite work, but it. it but the, the stuff that was there really did work and it really brought back waves of nostalgia and there were some good tears with some of the people who are no longer with us mm. Gilda Chan Hooks etc um, and it really reminds you of why that show has been successful for 40 years and and that it, even in its current phase it's still a good show and still everybody says oh it's not as funny as it used to be Saturday Night Live's <laughs> never been as funny as it used to be. It's never been as funny as people remember it because you mm-hmm. only remember the stuff that you like. You only remember the stuff you've seen over and over and over again and all the collected best ofs. Mm-hmm. The, right. You know, every season, every show, every everything always had stuff that didn't work. Even the magical Billy Crystal, Eddie Murphy, or um, Christopher Guest, blah, blah, blah season. Even 81, <laughs> 82, whatever it was. Even that one had some stuff that didn't quite work, and that's the that's the the way the show works. Some works, some doesn't, and but they're they're doing the grind every fucking week and putting out a show. So that's what I recommend. Um, anybody got anything else? Are we uh, ready? I think to, we're, we're, good. we're almost at an hour and a half here. Oh wow! <laughs> um, I'm at Saint Michael on Twitter. That's S A Y N T M Y K L. I'm at Kitty Brown on Twitter, K-I-T-T-Y-B-R-O-W-N. You can also find my graphic design work at kittybrowndesigns.com. I don't have a Twitter. All right. <laughs> uh, but go check out my DeviantArt. Yep, that'll work. <laughs> you can find uh, us online as Something2XP. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and Google+. Check out our blog, please, and listen to past episodes on WordPress. Get those numbers up. Email us at something2xp at gmail.com. And remember, please be kind. The Something Something Experience podcast was conceived and produced by Michael John Simpson. This week's co-host was Kitty Brown. 
intro music, Ways to Change Faces, and outro music, Scorpio 37, was written, produced, and provided by the talented Sebastian Ciceri. You can find us everywhere online as Something2XP. Please subscribe and review us on iTunes, WordPress, and YouTube. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook and Google+. Email us at something2xp at gmail.com. We invite your feedback. Please be kind.